Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, you're listening to The Future of Media Explained with me, Press Gazette Editor-in-Chief Dominic Ponsford. This week, we're learning all about coping strategies for publishers in an online advertising downturn. And joining me to discuss this topic, which is maybe the hot topic of the year, is Press Gazette reporter Bron Maher. Hi, Bron. Hey, Dom. I'm excited because it's two big themes for me this year. So online advertising um, has been a, a really big emerging theme for the, for the end of this year. We've really only now discovering how bad 2023 has been for publishers in terms of their online advertising revenue. And it's been annoying for them, particularly because the overall market has grown but publisher revenue's gone down. So there's a whole thing there going on, which is um, really, really worrying for kind of news on the open web. So I'm excited. We're learning about that. I'm also excited we've got an American on, because I love I love um, having uh, Americans on. Because did I tell you, Bron, I recently went to New York? Yes, indeed, I recall. May have mentioned it, Press Gazette Conference over there. And one of the big uh, things they uh, talk, I talked about with my friends in New York, my new, my new York, New York friends, was uh, the challenges over online advertising. So, yeah, it's great to be um, uh, having another American on the show, Luis Romero. Yes, indeed, Luis Romero, the head of advertising for Guardian US. So they've got, well, Guardian US, what? They've got a huge audience, haven't they, in the US? But by the sounds of things, you know, like everyone else, uh, they've struggled a bit in terms of the, the ad revenue side over the last year. Is that fair? Yeah, Luis didn't get into the details necessarily of, you know, quite how uh, things are looking. I kind of alluded to Future's recent results, which were quite bad um, in terms of advertising in the US. And he kind of indicated that they weren't seeing it quite that bad of a downturn. But uh, he was a bit like, yeah, it's suddenly a challenging period. It is a notably historically challenging period. Um, and while he didn't have, you know, solutions per se necessarily for everyone, he did have a few tactics and tips. Yeah, well, he has to stay upbeat because he's selling advertising, so he can't, <laughs> he can't be he can't be gloomy. But yeah, future. We learned last week, didn't we, that they're twenty five percent down uh, year on year in the US, which is horrendously bad. And uh, future shares are currently worth about 5p, I think, as a result, which is a real shame. Yeah, so obviously the Guardian, they've got a 
probably a more diversified revenue source than future in some ways because they've got this uh, amazing kind of membership schemes so they've got like a million paying um paying readers now haven't they so that helps them a lot they've also got a bunch of cash in the bank which helps them as well and they don't need to turn a profit the biggest membership area outside the uk is perhaps unsurprisingly the us as well but i get, I'm, I'm guessing that they um they do desperately need that ad revenue as well if they're going to continue in the sort of break-even position you know you lose that and you wrap you rapidly go go into the red all right well look Listen, uh, Bron. Let's get let's get into it. So, do you want to lead us into uh, Luis Romero's interview? Yeah. So uh, it was just as we were interviewing, uh, kind of by coincidence, the Guardian had had announced this new attempt in the US to kind of break into the travel vertical more. Um, and yeah, that makes sense. But I wanted to go into it in a little more detail and ask why specifically travel. Will there be editorial investment? So. Listen on to find out. Luis, nice to be with you. Yeah, great being here. So I, I didn't know much about this, but you say the Guardian US or the Guardian broadly is going to be uh, launching into the travel vertical. Why travel? Is travel a particularly valuable vertical for the Guardian, I suppose? It's become very valuable here in the US. And why travel is that we saw our readers really consuming this content that we have on the site. We always take a look at sectors. Tourism was one of those areas that we know we have the right reader profile. We did a little digging into this um, and we thought, you know, let's learn more about our readers. And one of the things we found was that over 80% of our readers, close to 90% actually have passports, uh, which is a pretty high figure, and close to another 75% of those readers are likely to be traveling abroad. And so we've seen a lift, basically, in our readership in this area. And it makes sense that we've seen a lift because, you know, the world has opened up somewhat um, after the pandemic lockdown. So uh, we've seen more and more readers gravitate to this sort of content. And with that, we've been able to go out to different advertisers in this particular sector and win businesses here in the U.S., which is a you know brand new thing for us here in the U.S. to have travel partners. So we now have an airline, uh, some tourism boards, uh, and others coming as well. So it's a great category for us, and we're going to be doing more with it. Is that the Guardian US's audience specifically, or the Guardian kind of writ large? This is the Guardian US specifically that I'm talking about. Do you uh, foresee any more investment in editorial content around the travel industry? I do. I do. We're We're actively looking at how to expand, uh, particularly for the U.S., travel coverage. We haven't really landed on it yet, um, on exactly what that looks like. So we're doing some research on it. But it could come in the form, as an example, of of a U.S. dedicated travel newsletter. So that's one idea that we have. And then uh, taking some of our content and making it more travel-centric. So for example, we have a series that we talk about America's most ethical restaurants. And when we conceived of the content, it was 
exactly that, talking about the ethical part of the restaurants. But we realized that these restaurants are spread across the U.S. And so that could lend itself to become more travel-centric. Um, so that's one idea. But it, you know, we see investment coming in content areas outside of news. So besides tourism and travel, we're also, we just recently launched um, a health vertical called Well Actually, and that launched a month ago. And again, this is kind of similar to travel. We saw a lot of consumption of the wellness and health content that we were publishing. And we decided to stand up its own vertical here in the U.S. And it's very Guardian-like in the sense that uh, we know that the health and wellness space is, is very crowded. So we wanted to take a different kind of view of things. And so um, we just recently launched that. And earlier in the year, or I should say late summer, we also stood up our own soccer vertical here in the US. Uh, again, similar. We, we saw a lot of consumption of European um, football and uh, particularly with the Premier League. And we thought, you know, we, we have legacy and authority in this space and America seems to be on the soccer momentum right now with the America's, um, the men's World Cup, uh, who did fairly well. The women, not as well, but they've been winners in the past and hopefully they will be in the future. Um, the coming of Messi, the second coming of Messi. And I think with the World Cup coming in 26, we thought it was the right time for us to do that. So there's investment um, and expansion of content throughout the Guardian US. Would you be able to tell us at all um, a bit more about whether the US audience for the Guardian differs markedly from its audiences elsewhere in, say, the UK or Australia? Yeah, I mean, I don't really, um, I will tell you exactly who we are in terms of who our readership is and how we're perceived in this marketplace, which I gather is different from definitely the UK and I'm not really sure about Australia, but I can say that in both those regions, in Australia and in the UK, uh, The Guardian has been an establishment, a news establishment in both those places. Um, certainly in the UK, over 200 years in existence. So there's a lot of market and brand awareness. And so if you liken it to the US uh, and the news environment here, uh, they're probably uh, more like the Times, if you will. I know there's a, a Times also from the UK. So the New York Times, certainly readers look to them. So I think here, you know, we've been, we're relatively new. We've been in the marketplace for over 12 years um, here in the US. Uh, the Guardian was one of the first British newspapers, I was going to say British bands, because it's like the British invasion uh, that's, that we've seen recently happen with others coming into the marketplace. But The Guardian actually was one of the first, if not the first, to actually land in the US 12 years ago. And we've been steadily building a huge American audience, uh, over 45 million uniques now. And we've done it over time. And 
So I think there's a lot of growth opportunity for us. One of the things that stays true, regardless of the region that the Guardian is in, is our mission to be uh, journalistically led. It's a clear Guardian stamp of being independent, well-researched articles, having a global perspective, not having a paywall. All those things are the same across uh, any region that you're in. And, and we feel that in the U.S., we certainly stand out um, amongst our competition because of those things. Um, and it breeds loyalty and trust in the Guardian. And I think the no paywall factor, particularly in the U.S., um, is key. Um, as we see, unfortunately, uh, more crisis du jour in 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 the world people are looking for as objective or factual reporting as possible and they find us sometimes uh you know they're just searching for news and they happen to find us and they like us they tend to stay with us so one of the things that we're really proud of is that during the pandemic uh, many news organizations saw a spike in their readership because of everything that was happening during that time. Um, and after the pandemic, um, at least the lockdown of the pandemic, uh, many news sites suffered uh, lower traffic or a dip back down to where they were before. We've been able to hold on to many of those readers that found us during that pandemic. And on the topic of, uh, you know, I suppose, broader trends coming out of the pandemic, uh, in the last year in particular, a lot of publishers have uh, suffered a bit of an advertising downturn. I was reading one publisher's uh, annual financial report just yesterday, and um, they were reporting in their US business, they had something like a 25% uh, year-on-year advertising decline. And I don't know whether that's something you're seeing. I know, obviously, while you don't have a paywall, it sounds like with these you know, travel advertising and stuff, you're doing a lot more direct auto advertising. So what's it been like for the Guardian US? I mean, it's certainly tough. I mean, it's it's uh, the toughest ad marketplace since you know, 2008. Um, you can find that in any, any report and we're certainly feeling the challenges of the ad market. It's been going on for a couple of years now. It's really started last year, but it's really taken hold, unfortunately, this calendar year. Last year, we were able to really buck the trend and we had a great advertising year in terms of revenues. Uh, This year, the first half of this year was great for us as well. And again, kind of bucking the trend. It's finally caught up to us. Um, We don't see uh, the year-to-year downturn that some other uh, news sites um, have published or the one that you just cited but it's certainly been tougher. It's definitely slowed down. And we see advertising budgets going either on hold or going away completely. It's it's very unlike anything I've seen in the years that I've been doing advertising. And it could be many things, uh, and particularly in the US, but I know you feel it also uh, in the UK more is the economic instability in the US and in the UK, political instability and certainly the war factor, uh, none of that helps. Uh, we're coming to an election year next year, and you know it remains to be seen what, what happens here in the US, but it's, 
it's it's gonna it's probably gonna continue to be challenging. Um, I, unfortunately, the downturn in the marketplace and I think everyone's been affected some way or the other, but it makes it particularly challenging for news organizations because you know marketers, uh, because of all the issues that we just cited, economy war, political instability, are very weary of advertising on news. So I think we're unduly impacted by a downturn. Yeah. Are there, are there any kind of strategies The Guardian has adopted to try and hedge against those troubles? Or like, how are you navigating that downturn? So The Guardian um, is is unique in the sense that we were established um, as I said, over 200 years ago and over 150 years ago, there was a trust uh, that was established called the Scott Trust Fund. And really, the whole mission of the trust is to manage our finances to keep us running in perpetuity. So that's one key factor that we have is the Scott Trust Fund. The second one that we have is reader revenue model. So though we don't have a paywall, our readers voluntarily and willingly donate uh, to keeping our journalism alive. There's a lot of intent to what they do. So I think that's the second factor. Uh, The third is advertising. So we're not solely reliant on advertising. I like to think that partners, advertising partners are obviously interested in our reader demographic, but they really, they really know the brand very well. And there are times when we're talking about big business, but they know that uh, in a way that perhaps they wouldn't like, but advertisers um, see that as a way to engage users and, uh, and readers. So they like being part of what we do Um, from a, tactics standpoint, you know, things that we're doing uh, that we're pivoting to do in order to try to get more advertising business are things like uh, lowering our cost of entry into um, doing advertising with The Guardian US. The other thing we're doing is providing more research studies uh, because we know that advertisers have to show an ROI to whatever they do. And the third thing is that we're talking to advertisers and clients directly, more directly. So we always do business with agencies and clients, but we're taking our story uh, directly to clients. So making sure that you're kind of the most attractive place to advertise in some senses. Yeah, most attractive and um, uh, just really, really talking to clients about who we are and what we are. Again, the, the Guardian, its brand is not as strong as it is in the UK. So some of this is just really educating clients on who we are um, and hopefully um, having them feel like we are a great place for them to be in. Hi, I'm Anoush, and I host the New Statesman podcast. Twice a week, we get under the skin of Westminster to help understand what's going on and what's going to happen next. 
We interview politicians, policymakers, and people on the front line to get you the full story behind the headlines. Plus, hear from our award-winning editorial team, including political editor Andrew Marr, to get to the bottom of what on earth is happening. Listen to the New Statesman podcast. You can subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Just take it back a moment. When you were talking earlier about kind of like travel, and you mentioned partnering with an airline, among other things, I know that the Guardian previously kind of famously like decided it wouldn't take any fossil fuel ads and all that kind of stuff. Is there like have readers reacted to you know seeing partnerships with, well, I guess businesses broadly, but also in particular with what some particularly let's say eco-minded people might see as an offending industry yeah i mean we haven't really had um any backlash on it but it's i think it's a great question and a great point we're really careful on who we bring on in terms of partners so we're not gonna mass target tourism um and any and all airlines there are some big companies that are making real efforts to try to lower uh, their carbon emissions. And, you know, we want to partner with those people who are trying to make a difference. So we're selective um, in who we partner with. Um, and we're very careful. And we always work with the editorial team to make sure that we're not compromising our principles. Mm. Does that make it harder? Because, um, you know, I, I, I went to a, a Guardian advertiser up front a few weeks ago, um, and Imogen Fox, who's the chief ab- advertising officer, I think, for the Guardian globally, um, she, she kind of quipped to the advertisers that uh, the Guardian, she feared, might become more famous among advertisers for the advertisers it won't take than what it will take. Um, and, like, yeah, how do you... Like, do you feel like you're on tenterhooks when you're moving around these things, when you're choosing your partners? Or, like, does do these end up resulting in, like, higher yield, higher value partnerships, maybe? It's the latter. Um, I, I've been with The Guardian for over a year and a half. And I love being here. I knew about The Guardian because I'm a big soccer fan. So uh, when I got the phone call to come work at The Guardian, um, I thought I was getting a phone call from the soccer site, not the new site. I freely admit this to everyone, so it's okay uh, that I say this. But I tell this story because one of the things that I noted when I first got here was the incredible journalism that we do. And I felt that as a salesperson, that we should be unapologetic about who we are, what we are, Um, and the type of partners that we should be partnering with. So I also have the opportunity to say that because the advertising market is a lot bigger in the U.S. than it is in the U.K., and we're a challenger brand here. So we're really fighting for advertising attention. Uh, And again, I don't want to go on mass and take any advertiser. So I think that that quote about uh, you know, being more famous for advertising that that we don't take rather than the ones that we do is was very clever. Is very clever on the UK side of things. In the US, we're not famous for advertising we don't take. We're just not famous. 
So part of my job is to just get out and let people know who we are and what we are. So there's a, it's a different position where we're establishing the position and a perception and perhaps rectifying a misperception. They may think that we're the guardian insurance, as an example, in the U.S. So for me, it's all upsides. Hmm. And I have a I have kind of a twofold question next, which is uh, a uh, responding to that. What do you say to people when you're making the pitch for what is the Guardian in the U.S.? And two, because presumably it involves a lot of reference to you know all the great journalism the Guardian does um, in a time where there is, as you have already alluded to, a lot of uh, shall we say less than happy news <laughs> out and about. How do you convince those advertisers to be like? Yes, here we are. We're the Guardian. We're, we're really worthy. We do really valuable, impactful journalism. But also, even though it's really sad, you should put ads next to it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that is the issue. Um, and I think you know, when it when it comes to answering this question, I think you know, the, your, the first part of your question, uh, we do talk about uh, many of the things that you already know about the Guardian, which is the journalism, the independence, the no paywall makes us very unique and different. We talk about our scale um, in the U.S. As I said before, we have an average of 45 million uniques. So we're not by any means a small site. We talk about our unduplicated reach. Uh, so people who tend to read us are less likely to read some of our key competitors. So it's a, a whole brand new audience that uh, perhaps is not being reached by others. And um, I also talk about um, duplication amongst some of those bigger brands as well. In terms of, yeah, there's a lot of sad news out there. You know, this brings up the whole issue of, of brand safety. And without getting on my soapbox, you know, news organizations, but I, but I will get on my soapbox. News organizations provide a public good. Um, and here in, in America, we're protected by the First Amendment. And I, that's not what I tell advertisers, but it's kind of the, what I'm thinking and the underlying conversation I have, which is like, we're really critical to really upholding democracy. And as we do that, as we're, you know, making sense of the world for our readers and the crisis du jours, as I said, you know, whether it's war, corruption, advocating for underrepresented communities, laying out the facts and science of climate crisis, we're reporting on important life-threatening issues. And that's not what an advertiser wants to hear. But I say it anyway, because advertisers unfairly uh, and this is broadly, we have a lot of great advertisers, so I, I don't want to tell my advertisers to F off, as perhaps others you know, do or have. We love our advertisers. Um, but in, to some extent, you know, the, the advertising part is key to keeping us financially afloat. And though we do have a different revenue model, advertising does play a big part in what we do. And brand safety and this whole issue of not being around sensitive issues is a big obstacle in that formula. You know, for us, not for us, I think for us as in the news category, not just The Guardian, you know, brand safety 
has become a very blunt instrument. It started off as as uh, as a good thing for advertisers, where they were being careful about the places that that they were at. Uh, but it's become just an overall blanket statement of we don't want to be anywhere near news. And you know, now as an example, we get block lists on you know words that they don't want to be around, and there are hundreds and hundreds and sometimes thousands of block list words. And what that does is it lowers our ability to serve ads to our widest audience. Um, so part of what we do, besides all those great things we say about The Guardian, is really educate uh, and try to educate and continue to educate marketers and their agencies um, and even the programmatic, the DSPs, about who we are and what we are. And we could do that through research, proprietary research, and we can do that with research that's out in the public um and you know there's a lot of studies that that continue to come out on this um most recently there was one done by an organization called ad fontes media here in the us um and very simply i mean it's a a pretty extensive study but one of the outcomes uh, results of that study was that not only are brands uh not affected by being in news environments, but that brands will actually grow and amplify by being in news environments. And the reason is because of those readers and they're highly engaged. They care about all things, including if you have the right advertising, which is why it's important for us to have the right partners. You know, they're more likely to be engaged. They're more likely to see those brands pop up or be around the actual articles. So it's not an easy task, but this whole idea of education, I think is really important. I wish it wasn't (laughs) that hard, but it is. And the other thing also to be a little bit more provocative is that, you know, I made a reference to the F off comment, but I, I do delicately remind advertisers that if you think we're brand unsafe, you should really be taking a look more deeply at the long tail of the web. So this is where we talk about things like MFA sites or just like money's being spent that you don't really know where you're targeting, especially on a programmatic front. Uh, And again, we, we could do business programmatically. We don't, we welcome that as well, but I think it's really doing you know, having these conversations with clients directly so they really understand the whole issue and with their agencies as well. Um, Or, you know, let's just say it, even in well-lit places like X, there are very dark corners there as we've all read and seen. And, you know, there's still over $2 billion being spent in that particular platform. Uh, that's $2 billion and it doesn't need all need to come to the guardian, but it should go to organizations that are providing this public good um, that are really reporting on the facts of these issues that seemingly come on a daily basis nowadays. So really advertisers need to start shifting more of their dollars away from places like that and redirect them to us. Mm. And do you, um, you know, this is obviously a great pitch, and we, uh, working in the news industry, agree with you. 
Uh, but do you tend to find that these agencies and marketers, are they receptive to these pitches? Yeah, that's, I, I think once we have those meaningful conversations with the right people, um, I think it is effective um, for sure. It's not scalable though. I mean, I think there are other, you know, we can all do this one-on-one type of thing. There are a lot of organizations, news organizations that get together and talk about news. I, I think that's another part of the solution here. But I'm beginning to think, well, I've always thought this, but I don't know how to solve this, but that we don't even really know to the extent of how much this is really hurting us. So no one's going to come out and say, you, you know, your brand unsafe. You know, you, it takes several conversations. I tend to now ask the question about news sooner in my discussions with advertisers rather than later. Now, having kind of learned this over the last year and a half and seen it happen, I tend to ask the question. My assumption is usually that when they take a meeting with me, that they know who I am or who I represent. and that they would be okay with it, but I don't assume that anymore. So I, I specifically ask, what are their feelings on news? I would say eight out of 10 times, they're gonna tell me it's like they don't have an issue. So I think direct conversations is really key to all of this. Great, well, I think uh, that's, that's plenty to chew on uh, across several topics. So Luis, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for that, Bron. Great to hear from Luis Ronero. I mean, we don't we don't cover advertising in that much depth in Prescott, obviously, because we're more on the editorial side traditionally. But I, I, I've just got a hunch that next year we're going to be writing about advertising a lot more. We've got publisher cookies on Chrome uh, starting to be switched off, and that's going to, I imagine, only compound issues for, for publishers in terms of selling advertising on the open web. Uh, so, you know, really interesting to hear a few strategies from Luis. Uh, so, I mean, what do you think uh, big take-homes for publishers I'm chatting to him? Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, instituting lower barriers of entry, like lower-cost advertising, is probably the most actionable thing. I know we, a while ago, did another podcast with some direct port sales folks and talking about that as a way to bring in a whole bunch of new advertising revenue from people who otherwise wouldn't have the money to advertise so yeah that's that's a useful one so that's you've got programmatic which is obviously the very cheap stuff then you've got direct sold which is the very premium kind of campaigny type uh mark full mark full on marketing solutions that you might sell to people and i guess maybe there's somewhere something in the middle there which is a kind of you can sell for more than those programmatics but like less than those big old campaigns yeah, and then there's a you know the, the certain softwares and services are available that allow you to kind of like let people buy from your ad inventory directly, but uh, it's kind of quasi automated. I think it's contextual advertising. Is that fair? I think we're going to find out more in in the months in the months to come. Yep, as we as we uh, are forced to reckon yet more with the advertising downturn and industry. Well, massive opportunity though. When, when I started in this game, Bron, publishers together, I think, were the biggest single segment uh, in the sort of advertising firmament. I think they used to, they used to take about 40% of all um, ad revenue in the UK. 
think now it's like down to like one or two percent. So you know, big, big, uh, big challenge. But you know, if they can tackle it, you know, there's billions and billions in potential revenue out there. And you know, why not? Because logic would dictate if you're an advertiser, you'd rather be advertising against sort of trusted news in a sort of safe environment rather than just against some absolute random stuff on uh, YouTube. Brilliant. Okay. Thanks for that, Bron. And thanks to Luis Romero. You've been listening to The Future of Media Explained uh, with me, Press Gazette Editor-in-Chief, Dominic Ponsford, reporter, Bron Maher. This week's episode was produced by Suze Cooper. You can read more about the future of advertising, future of media, by checking out pressgazette.co.uk. You can also subscribe to our newsletters. Thanks for listening. Listening.